companies I've seen have stitched together a basic sanctions compliance program that really centers on the screening tool and little beyond that. And such a limited program provides just a false comfort of compliance because if you look at the OFAC enforcement actions, everybody's screening. They're just not building anything around the screening technology, nor ensuring that the screening technology is properly calculated and calibrated with regard to the risk profile. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello, everyone from sunny Sicily still in Italy, working from here these days. To restate the obvious, the Justice Department has prioritized prosecution of national security crimes, but the real focus and really interesting point right now is their new approach to sanctions compliance and sanctions enforcement and the application of the new they call it the new FCPA. And to me, that means that we're looking at corporate prosecutions in the same way that the FCPA prosecutions occurred probably starting 10 to 12 years ago with deferred prosecution agreements, large fines. And now what we're seeing is the emphasis on this national security and sanctions compliance and corporate crime. So this is caused me to redouble efforts here in terms of companies need to refresh and elevate their sanctions compliance program. There's lots of good guidance out there, and we're going to go through that. But that is the headline that trade compliance really is the new FCPA. And export controls with Matt Axelrod at its helm has now become as well an area that's ripe for aggressive enforcement. So just recently, we've seen the British American Tobacco sanctions case with a penalty of $629 million. And then we had from the Bureau of Industry and Security, the largest administrative penalty ever of $300 million imposed on Seagate for violation of export controls as well. So what I Chief compliance officers, along with their trade compliance colleagues, have to inform their boards and senior executives that this is a new and direct and immediate threat. And in response, companies need to go back to basics, review, refresh, and enhance their trade compliance programs, no more excuses. And as a starting point for all of this, OFAC in 2019 issued important guidance focusing on the five elements of an effective sanctions compliance program. Those are one, management commitment, two, risk assessment, three, internal controls, four, testing and audit, and five, training. I'm just going to go through each of the elements and the factors that fall within those elements, and then I'm going to give you five practical steps that I think everybody has to take immediately. 
So one, management commitment under that, we include actions and communications concerning the importance of sanctions compliance, board or senior management approval of a trade compliance policy, regular and periodic in-person reporting from your trade compliance officer and relevant team members, company-wide awareness and full integration of sanctions compliance controls, and assignment of a trade compliance officer, obviously, with requisite experience, authority, and position. Under risk assessment, we need to conduct a holistic review of the organization's operations from top to bottom and assess touch points to the international markets. We have to look at our clients and customers, products and services, supply chain, intermediaries and counterparties, transactions, locations, and potential mergers and acquisitions. Finally, risk factors, prohibited persons, entities, and countries, foreign government ownership, application, obviously, of the 50% rule, and a geographic risk factor to capture that, depending upon our operations. Third, under internal controls, we need to focus on the operationalization of sanctions compliance policies, more than a mouthful there, written policies and procedures, a process to identify, interdict, escalate, resolve, and document compliance activities and red flag identification. We need to monitor, intervene, and audit our policies and procedures and implement a technology solution, obviously, some kind of screening technology. And we have to communicate these policies and procedures to the relevant internal staff to make sure that they follow them. Under testing and auditing, we have an audit function, which we need to make sure is independent, accountable to senior management, and has the requisite authority, skills, expertise, and resources. And we need to do comprehensive and objective testing and assessment of our risk assessment and internal controls. And I like to say quarterly audits of some sort. And finally, a simple idea, but that I don't see many companies doing, is training. And OFAC has mandated, mandated, just an important point, because I'm not seeing people following this mandate of annual training for sanctions compliance, tailored to the risk profile and making sure that we cover appropriate employees and stakeholders. So that's the outline that OFAC has provided us, and it's very, very helpful. But now what I want to talk about are what are the five steps that everybody should take right now? Many companies, from my standpoint, have done little to assess and enhance their existing sanctions compliance program. And I don't want to see us all wait for several multi-million dollar settlements and all of a sudden wake up and say, oh, we better do something about it. Now is the time. Companies I've seen have stitched together a basic sanctions compliance program that really centers on the screening tool and little beyond that. And such a limited program provides just a false comfort of compliance because if you look at the OFAC enforcement actions, everybody's screening. They're just not building anything around the screening technology, nor ensuring that the screening technology is properly calculated and calibrated with regard to the risk profile. So OFAC and BIS have been increasing their attempts lately to gather information, follow up on leads, and conduct informal inquiries in an attempt to verify compliance with sanctions requirements. 
And they now work closely with the Justice Department's National Security Division, which is responsible for criminal sanctions and export controls enforcement. This relationship that's sort of growing is akin to the SEC's relationship with the FCPA unit in terms of the coordination and sharing of information as appropriate. And we're starting to see that same coordination develop. And in light of this, it does not and will not take much for OFAC or BIS to provide DOJ with sufficient information to launch a criminal probe, issue grand jury subpoenas, or even execute a search warrant in certain circumstances. So here, from our perspective at our firm, these are the five practical areas that need to be addressed in the near future. One, conduct or update a risk assessment. As a first step, companies need to fashion their risk profile. Unlike other areas such as anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, privacy, and data, a sanctions risk assessment is really not as complicated nor as difficult as those that I just mentioned. It often centers on a geographic location, types of counterparties, and frequency and value of the business relationship. So as an initial step, a risk assessment creates a foundation or a roadmap for additional actions, especially with regard to geographic risks. In the areas that are near prohibited countries, like Dubai being near Iran, Eastern Europe now has become a transshipment location for goods and services that may go to Russia. And third-party risks. Geographic areas include or raise third-party risks, such as areas in China that are close to Korea, North Korea. So these are the areas that you know, your risk assessment that needs to be highlighted and you need to jump on it for further action in terms of updating where you are in terms of your risk profile. Number two, geo-blocking. And we've seen several enforcement actions where companies fail to implement comprehensive or effective geo-blocking technology. Often we see sort of half-hearted attempts, partial attempts to use geo-blocking and you need to work closely with your information technology group because trade compliance needs to develop a comprehensive geo-blocking capability to prevent any person who's prohibited or located in a prohibited country from engaging in the business, either direct or indirect, and make sure we include facilitation-type risks or uh, causation. And in recent enforcement actions, companies have suffered because of these piecemeal geo-blocking strategies, such as onboarding new customers, but then failing to geo-block existing customers or failing to subject each and every transaction to geo-blocking functions. And OFAC has insisted on enforcement settlements with companies that follow this sort of piecemeal approach to geo-blocking. Number three, screening, due diligence, independent research, and escalation controls. Companies realize they have to implement a screening technology to determine if a counterparty is a prohibited entity or individual or located in a prohibited jurisdiction. And OFAC has emphasized, along with the Justice Department, that screening is only the first step in the process. OFAC has specifically directed companies to conduct independent research beyond its screening results. So a risk-based due diligence program means that independent research and further investigation should be conducted depending on the initial screening results and the overall risk profile. 
a successful screen, for example, of a company based in Canada versus a northern China company located near the Chinese North Korean border will require different due diligence reviews. Luckily, most companies will need to conduct additional investigations for it's really a small number of companies and individuals and transactions. Nonetheless, it's critical to conduct the further investigation and research on the highest risk customers, vendors and suppliers, and third parties based on proximity or location with strong ties to a prohibited jurisdiction. High-risk screening and due diligence can often extend to uncovering the beneficial owners of the entity and the piecing together of complex ownership puzzles. Russian entities and individuals are notorious for adopting complex corporate and ownership structures that mask the underlying real owner. In many situations, it's clear that the malign actors are adept in cloaking their real party and interest status. So independent research in this context for higher risk candidates has to focus on OFAC's 50% rule for sanctions compliance, meaning that a non-listed entity would be prohibited if it's owned by one or more prohibited parties that together the total 50% or more of the ownership of the non-designated entity. Enhanced due diligence may be necessary when this situation occurs. So aside from appropriate screening, due diligence, and research processes, a company has to ensure that procedures exist to ensure that when red flags are discovered, the issue is escalated within the organization to ensure proper resolution. We call this, and everybody knows the terminologies, the, you know, the four-eye rule. In other words, four eyes need to see this, four eyes need to be involved at least. OFAC has noted on several occasions the failure of a company to implement appropriate escalation controls so that, let's say, an analyst in one case uncovered a red flag and then unilaterally decided to resolve the red flag. That cannot occur. So that's three. You know, let's go to number four, third-party risks. I want to talk, and we've seen a lot of more use of end-user verifications and documentation. As in the case of anti-corruption risks, sanctions compliance is often complicated with third-party risks in which a third party may divert a product to a prohibited entity or individual or country. The principal company will be held liable for the diversion if the company had reason to know, that's the standard, that the product may be diverted to a prohibited end user. Also, OFAC has held a principal company for failing to confirm or verify the ultimate end user of a specific product. For example, in one case, OFAC held a principal company liable for the leasing of a jet engine that was subleased to a prohibited entity. Even in the case where the ultimate user was two steps removed from the principal company, OFAC extracted a settlement agreement. Interestingly, the fact that the principal company secured written assurances as part of the lease requiring the lease the lessee to certify to compliance with OFAC sanctions, OFAC nonetheless held the company liable. In the case of the Russia sanctions and export controls, there are a variety of dual-use items that are prohibited from various military end users. The complexity of the Russia sanctions and exports controls has created a growing use of end-user verifications and documentation as a risk mitigation strategy. And this is a great requirement and a great tool to use. It requires additional steps, but nonetheless, end-user certifications can be the difference between 
an enforcement action or sort of a pass. So those are four. And the fifth and uh, big drum roll here, it's pretty obvious where I'm going on the fifth one with annual training. And companies just have to conduct at a minimum annual training for relevant employees and personnel. There's no excuse for a company not to meet this basic requirement. So those are five steps. We're available to help you with any of these steps. Like I said, this is not sort of building a program from the beginning. This is just fine-tuning and enhancing your program. And by taking these simple steps that we're talking about, you'll put yourself in a much better position in the event that there is a sanctions violation of some sort. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week from sunny Sicily. Have a great week. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com.